Well, today's uh, sermon scripture is Matthew uh, chapters uh, 17, verses 1 through 9, and the title of the sermon is Mountaintops and Valleys. Uh, Don't know if you've heard yet, but I'm engaged. I've never been able to get you to clap for my sermon, at least you'll clap in it, so thank you for that, I appreciate that. Um, So I guess that means I could sort of start telling stories about my fiance, right? Uh, She says she listens to the podcast, we'll find that out this week, won't we? Well, several months ago, we were, on, we were uh, hiking up a mountain. We were a part of this big, large group. Uh, we love to hike, and so we're on our way hiking up this big mountain. This group that we're a part of, we don't know anybody else in the group, and so we're just kind of starting our way up the mountain when all of a sudden I hear something behind me. It's a, a family, uh, husband and wife, their three children, and one of the children has started to complain already about the hike that we're taking, talking about that there's too many bugs and that there is too long and it's too tired and and that it's just not going to be worth it. And so uh, at first the parents were really trying to be encouraging to the children. You know, when, when the child said, well, I'm going to get bitten by bugs, uh, they said, well, look, we've sprayed you with bug spray, so the bugs aren't going to bother you, son. And, and then when he said, well, it's too hot, they pointed out that, well, most of the journey up this particular mountain is going to be in the shade, and so the heat won't be that much of a factor. And when he was talking about how tired he was and how long it was going to take, they said, you're a big boy. You're going to do fine up this mountain. And when you get to the top, you're going to be so glad that you made the journey. Well, the boy just kept complaining. And so after a while, those words of encouragement from the parents to the child changed just a little bit to more stern statements. And it got so bad that at some point I looked back and the father was on his knees saying, listen to me. Stop complaining. You're going to enjoy this once you get to the top. Well, I was thinking about that story as I was reading the scripture lesson from this morning. You see, Jesus has invited James and Peter and John to go hike up a mountain. And the mountains are no easier for them than it was for this family and those small children. You know, it could have been really hot that day. It could have been unseasonably cold that day. It could have been raining for the whole month of February like it feels like it's done here in Tennessee. It could have been that the path was really slick. It could have been that the path was overgrown with brush. It could have been that unlike on the hike that I was on, that there weren't some well-placed steps that would help you and some well-placed handrails to, to help help you to get up to the top of that mountain. Do you think for an instance that maybe as they were hiking up this mountain that some people got a little frustrated? That some people began to complain? That, that, that some people began to say things to like Jesus like, it is too hot to be howling up this mountain right now. Or it is too cold. 
or the bugs are terrible, or I just don't know if I've got enough energy to get to the top. I suspect that all of those things might have been possible. And can you imagine that at first Jesus was saying, hey, come on, Peter, James, and John, I promise you when you get to the top, it's going to be worth it. But if they kept complaining or they kept getting frustrated, can't you just see Jesus at some point saying, listen, stop complaining. When you get to the top of this mountain, it's going to be worth it, I promise. And then what about all of those other disciples, the other nine that are not a part of this particular journey. Were they jealous because Peter and James and John got to go all the way up to the top of the mountain with Jesus while they did not? Or were they actually relieved? (laughs) Man, it is hot as Hades out here. I ain't going up that mountain. I am so glad that I get to stay here at the bottom with the rest of you. We'll kick back on the Sea of Galilee. We'll go out on the boat, fish a wild man. We are going to have the time of our lives while they complain all the way up that mountain. Or maybe, maybe they were invited to go and they just decided, I'm not going to go. They didn't know what was going to happen at the top of that mountain. Maybe they just had other things to do, more important things in their mind. And so maybe they just said, you know what, y'all go ahead. We're just going to stay down here at the bottom and take care of things. Maybe Jesus asked the three of them, Peter, James, and John, to go up on the top of that mountain that day because when Moses encountered God on the top of Mount Sinai, it's recorded in the Old Testament, Moses only had three people with him. Maybe Jesus chose these three because they were his closest friends of all the twelve. He just sort of clicked or connected with these three more than anybody else. Maybe he chose them because they were a part of the inner circle. The gifts and graces that they had were important to Jesus as he was living into his call and doing the will of God. Maybe the reason why he chose these three disciples, because according to the Gospels, they are three of the earliest followers of Jesus. They are three of the first people who heard the call of God upon their lives and were willing to say yes and follow Jesus. But Matthew really doesn't tell us why these three were chosen. All we know is that they go up on this high mountain, which would not have been easy. And they didn't really know what they were going to expect, or at least we don't know that they, did, that they knew. And maybe it was, they just went. And it was such an incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience once they arrived at the top of the mountain. Well, once they arrive at the top of the mountain, Matthew says that Jesus' face began to shine like the sun. And that was uh, something amazing to them. And I find it fascinating here that even though Jesus has already told these disciples that He's going to eventually have to go to Jerusalem, that He's going to eventually have to suffer greatly, and that He will eventually die and be raised from the dead, Jesus doesn't have to wait until He gets to the cross to be glorified. You see, Jesus knew that He was going to be glorified once He was 
crucified and then raised from the dead. But even in this moment, before all of that stuff happens, Jesus is still being glorified. Not only does His face shine like the sun, not only do His clothes become dazzling white, not only is this cloud come above them and a voice from the cloud that uh, essentially confirms and affirms Jesus as the Son of God. He is being glorified in this very moment even as he will ultimately be glorified when he's raised from the dead. And we're told that after his face shines this, this brilliant white, shining like the sun, that, that Moses and Elijah show up. Now Moses and Elijah were two of the most well-known figures in the Jewish faith. They're two of the most prominent people talked about in the Old Testament. Moses is the one that God chose to give the people the law. And, and then Elijah was the one that God chose as the forerunner of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Uh, Moses and Elijah both had their own encounters with God up on the top of a high mountain. Moses, when he was there to receive the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and Elijah, when he was on top of the mountain, Mount Horeb. Both of these, Moses and Elijah, had unique endings to their earthly lives. You might remember, Elijah, we're told, just swept up into heaven without even dying. And, and, and Moses, while we're told that he dies, they never could find his body, and they never could find where he's buried. And so are some of the early rabbis, of, of, of after that story was told, and priests began to say that, Perhaps Moses himself was taken straight into heaven, just like Elijah. And you might remember that Moses' face, when he encountered God on Mount Sinai, began to shine like the sun. There are so many similarities here. If you don't know anything else, you know that the fact that Jesus is now in the presence of these two great Old Testament figures, it really shows you that Jesus is the real deal. There's something great about this Jesus because he's being seen with these two great icons of the faith. Well, then Peter, always a man of action, a man who can't stand silence, a man who's always going to fill the silence by doing something or saying something, he suggests to Jesus that they should just build three tents, three booths, three shelters, three dwelling places, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for Jesus. Now, we're not told why Peter wants to do this. Maybe because he sees those three icons in the faith and he thinks that we should build a memorial to these three people fitting of their stature in our faith tradition. Maybe that's why Peter said that they should build those three tents or dwelling places. Maybe he wanted to build those three booths because he was reminded of in the Old Testament whenever Israel wanted to commemorate something special that God was doing, they would engage in what they called the festival of booths. Maybe the reason why Peter wanted to build those three things there that day is because Jesus had already told them that he was going to have to leave and go to Jerusalem. And there he would suffer and he would die. And, and Peter doesn't want that to happen. He's already told Pete, Jesus that it can't happen. And he just wants to delay that suffering and death a little longer by staying there on the mountaintop. 
Or maybe Peter suggests that they build those three things because this is absolutely one of the coolest, most spiritual experiences he's ever had in his entire life. And he doesn't want this mountaintop experience to ever end. He just wants to stay there and he just wants to enjoy it as long as possible. Well, we're told all of a sudden this big cloud appears. Big clouds in Scripture are always reminiscent of God's presence. You might remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai that the cloud of God's presence came upon him. You might remember that that same cloud of God's presence is the one that led the Israelites as they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. You might know that that same cloud of presence, we're told, is what filled the tabernacle with God's presence. We, we might know that that same cloud of presence is the one when Solomon built the temple, filled the temple. There always in the history of our religious tradition, clouds have represented the presence of God. And so here this presence of God comes across Jesus and all of those that are gathered there and there's a voice. And the voice says, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah, they are really, really important. It's as if God is saying. But this man, Jesus, is going to come and offer a new perspective. He's going to fill in some of the blanks that maybe you, you, you haven't gotten the answers to yet. Listen to him. Well, then at this sound, the three uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John, fall face down to the ground in fear. That too is not surprising at all. Whenever there is evidence of God's presence in Scripture, it is usually followed by this sense of reverence and awe and fear of the Holy One. And so in the midst of that, uh, Jesus walks up and He touches those three disciples. This is my favorite part of the story. Because after you've just witnessed Jesus turn, his face shines like the sun, his clothes turn dazzling white. He's talking with two pioneers of the faith. The voice of God has spoken and said, this is my son. They might have wondered if this human Jesus that they had walked with and journeyed with throughout their time together had now lost some of his humanity and now was assuming his full divinity and Maybe that touch, that human touch, is what drew them back to know that this is the same Jesus who has hugged us and walked with us and touched us along the way as we have sought to follow Him. And then we're told that they look up and Moses and Elijah are gone. It's as if God is saying to them, Moses and Elijah were absolutely important. They're absolutely pioneers of the faith. But what they were doing is their roles of the law and the prophets is they were preparing the way for Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, you no longer need Elijah and Moses. They've done what they came to do. Your singular focus from this point on should only be on Jesus the Christ. Despite Peter's suggestion that they stay there and enjoy that time together, Matthew says that they had to go back down 
the mountain. And they still didn't understand. Peter would go on to deny Jesus three times. All of the other disciples would end up deserting Jesus in the moment when he was arrested. It's as if God wanted us to know that just because you have a mountaintop experience with God doesn't make you a better or more faithful disciple of Jesus. And what it also suggests that if there are those of us here this morning like the other nine disciples who didn't have a mountaintop experience, that doesn't make you any less or worse of a disciple. And so then Jesus tells them that they should not tell anyone what has happened because Jesus is aware that they still don't quite understand what must take place. Church, I'd like to suggest to you that following Jesus is not easy. I mean, it's a lot like a mountain hike up a big mountain. Sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. Sometimes you wonder if you've got the energy to keep going. Sometimes you wonder why there are so many bugs and distractions in life. So many things that could draw us away from what we might experience if we could just stay focused. Uh, sometimes you get a mountaintop experience. Many times you don't get a mountaintop experience. What is going on? And even if you do get a mountaintop experience, they don't ever last very long. And, it, and you enjoy the mountaintop experience for just a little while. But then just like Jesus and the disciples, you find yourself headed back down into the valleys of life where most of life is lived as a follower of Jesus. Even Jesus knew what it was like to be on a mountain where he was in the presence of God one moment and then back in the valleys in a time of suffering and on his way to the cross in the next moment. But the good news is this, that Jesus goes with us into those valleys. He knows what it's like to leave a mountaintop experience and then go through suffering and go to the way of the cross. And he knows that for us, when the Christian journey gets difficult, when we too experience suffering, when things don't go the way that we would like or in the way that we would hope, he can relate. But it was because of Jesus that when we go through the way of suffering, even the way of the cross, still new life awaits.